Welcome to Scandal.K12.us. Our Scandal K12 curriculum is a true crime comedy podcast about bamboozling boards, sneaky superintendents, lame learning products, and teachers who are way too cool for school. This curriculum contains references and potential descriptions of crimes against minors in the field of education. Listener discretion is always advised. And now, time for morning announcements. Good morning, Scandal K-12 students, home of the Fighting Rats. Go Rats! Oh, wait. No, we're still not in session. This is the summer season, so we're going to do a special episode that'll touch on a few things that are relevant to our educator community and our Scandal students. In the year 2020, schools suddenly closed, often for indefinite periods, leaving parents at home with their children as schools scrambled to leave behind a method of education of books and classes and chalkboards to zoom into the 21st century with little preparation. Literally, zoom, as in the company that propelled from nothing to being a verb, a noun, and often an expletive. Schools with advanced technology and helicopter parents were able to deploy their online classes, virtual lessons, and join the space age of distance learning while other schools struggled to get technology into the hands of students to train teachers inexperienced in remote learning and shepherd children in homes where the parent or parents were themselves struggling to mentally, emotionally, and economically survive an unprecedented ordeal. What happened during the pandemic often illustrated what had been going on in the schools and communities of our nation for years. Decades, really. Some schools were achieving while others, well, they need improvement and resources. For some schools, it seems that this calamity has made the entire community think differently about the physical classroom. Other school communities have seen students lose an entire year of social and academic growth with consequences that will play out over the coming years, if not the next few decades. In both the schools that transitioned to technology and those that struggled throughout the year to provide basic education, there has been a hope among parents who have become exhausted by monitoring their children's every academic minute that their children would return to school. For those parents of younger students, the kindergarten reading circle didn't seem as fruitful when done in the living room with their child plopped in front of a screen they could just wander away from and the parents of older students and middle schools all across the nation held dances, perhaps, in the kitchen that was made even more awkward for a middle school dance by there only being one middle school attendee. Parents today yearn for the return of students to the traditions of school, waiting for buses in the morning rain, late passes for bio class, and smoking in the boys' room. With the current pandemic seeming to come to, well, as much of an end as we can find in what seems to be an unending series of dire pandemic updates, we want to focus on the push to reopen schools. We will examine the current situation in an episode we're calling Masks Wide Shut, School Reopening. Let's start with a few COVID-related stories from around this great and storied nation. First off, a school board study session in Vail Unified School District in the great state of Arizona was interrupted in a flash mob that was part Lord of the Flies, part Day of the Locust. While Governor Doug Ducey had dropped the state mandate for wearing masks in his deuce of a bill, House Bill 2770, which allowed local districts and charter schools to maintain or remove their mask policy on an individual basis, many parents were opposed to decisions that local school boards were making. As school board members discussed the policy over masks, 
Spoiler alert, they were planning on voting to continue the mask mandate and other, quote, risk mitigation policies. The doors of the chambers were unceremoniously thrown over and dozens of irate parents stormed in demanding an end to the mask mandate and social distancing. Reported by News 4 Tucson, from a transmitter right atop Mount Bigelow, this meeting was a final straw. Quote, These are my rights as a parent, and they don't get to decide how I raise them and what I believe is true and factual, a parent said. It's disgusting what's being done, and I don't agree with it. I don't. When you look at the flu, it also causes death. It also hurts people. While the school board claimed that 90% of parents agreed with the continued precautions, the parents who filled the room didn't wait their turn to speak to the board, and actually, their commotion drew calls to the local police, which seemed to just escalate the situation and inspired those gathered to hold an impromptu, unofficial election, selected their own board, comprised of those folks in the room, and voted to repeal the mask mandate. Um, guys, that's not quite how elections work. Or, or is it? A parent who was on the list of those asked to present that evening at the meeting prior to the riot disruption claimed, quote, they have never not asked for our input on anything, which is both an example of terrible grammar and a pretty good counter-argument. Now next up, we travel from the hot sands of Arizona to the flinty shores and icy mountains of the live-free-or-die state New Hampshire to see if people are willing to both live free and die. While the CDC has relaxed its mask mandate in 2021 at the time of this recording for vaccinated individuals, and some states have dropped the mandate entirely, many states continue to allow local districts to determine what policies around health they'd like to continue in the coming school year. The Timberland School Board chose to hold a public meeting at the Timberland Performing Arts Center, a venue that in the past showcased the production of Pippin, adults $10, seniors and seniors, $5, which either refers to a buddy system of some kind or means seniors in high school and seniors waiting to move to Florida while they both get a discount. It also featured an afternoon of guitar with special guests Ted Mann and Taylor Leleg and grades 5 and 6 and advisories held a chorus. But those were the before times. Right now during the meeting, Kate Bossy, a grandmother to several children in the district, a former educator and current Sunday school teacher, went to attend the meeting, but she and her fellow attendees in her party refused to wear masks, as mandated by the venue, which, as you may have guessed, is what we would have called in the old days a school auditorium. Bosi was at the meeting to demand an end to the mask mandate in district schools since she believed that the CDC had relaxed guidelines and it was in the best interest of the younger children to be fully engaged socially and masks and social distancing were impeding that. What Bosi and others didn't anticipate was that the Patistow police had already been called to attend the event in anticipation of mask mandate protests. As Bosi and her party approached the doors of the auditorium, uh, we mean Performing Arts Center, police took action and tackled the grandmother and scuffling with her and the others to prevent their entering the building. You're violating my rights right now, Bosi told the arresting officer. You are remiss. (laughs) Remiss? What a great tier two vocabulary word meaning lack of care or attention to details or neglectful of duties. Whether he was remiss or not, the Patistow Police Department booked Bossy on disorderly conduct. The school board then canceled the in-person meeting and retreated to conduct the rest of the meeting via Zoom, which is a noun, a verb, and often 
an expletive. Unrelated to the story, but for bonus points, the police chief of the town had been arrested for assaulting an officer under his command. But that's not related to the story, so let's move on. While school closures seem unprecedented, they're actually, um, precedented. If you have been turning into the news, you perhaps already heard the comparison to the last great pandemic, the Spanish flu of 1918, the most famous of flus, outshining the Russian flu of 1889, the 1968 Hong Kong flu, and the 2009 swine flu in notoriety, and of course, number of those killed. When the Spanish flu hit the shores of the United States, the larger school districts responded to this health emergency by, uh, okay, it says here, by remaining open. According to Dr. Howard Barkle, a pediatrician writing for PBS NewsHour, according to Dr. Markle, in the fall of 1918, many large districts such as Chicago, New York, and New Haven remained open by order of their respective health commissioners. Despite the flu's contagious nature and relatively high mortality rate, consider the alternative to being in school was far worse since children would then be running around in crowded, dirty streets, spending additional time in filthy tenements, or making clubhouses out of scrap wood and whatever old-time children did back then when they were not in school. According to the commissioners, the clean environment of the modern school buildings, access to school nurses, and regular medical inspections was far better than allowing these armies of ragamuffins to freely tap a hoop with a stick down the road, trick their friends into painting a fence, or wising off at cigar stores, or whatever old-timey kids did back then. The New York City Health Commissioner, according to Dr. Markle, quote, actually became irritated over the closing of his son's private school, the School for Ethical Culture, in mid-October of 1918, and used his son's apathy at home as, quote, evidence that children are better off in school under supervision than playing about in the streets. While schools were open, many parents withheld their children from school, and absenteeism in some schools was as much as 50%. Rather than attempting to understand parents' fears, the Chicago Health Commissioner mocked them by claiming they had flu-phobia. Flu-phobia? It sounds like a great name for a post-punk band. So scandal, students. At the time of this recording, flu-phobia is still up for grabs for your kick-ass stomping band. According to the CDC, the influenza, or the Spanish flu and all other variants, and COVID-19, while both contagious respiratory illnesses, are caused by different viruses. Also in 1918, we didn't have Twitter, MSNBC, Fox News, or Facebook. According to CNN, which you may have forgotten, but as a reminder, CNN was that TV program you saw in airports back when we could just freely travel. But according to CNN, teachers in New York City protested the reopening of New York City schools when that time came. <coughs> to show their disapproval of the city's Department of Education, as well as release more than a year of pent craft skills and supplies, teachers marched carrying fake cardboard coffins, paper mache skeletons, and protest signs with perfect penmanship. I mean, let's face it, there's nothing better than the handwriting of elementary school teachers. So diction, spelling, and effective language was all there. Many signs in the protest met or exceeded the New York State Next Generation ELA standards for text type and purposes and presentation of knowledge and ideas. Protests against school reopening wasn't just in New York City. Protests occurred across the country in many large districts. <coughs> Students at Gross Point North High School, a school in the suburb of Detroit, rather than attending their first day at a reopening school, waited in the gym 
as the school scrambled to find enough substitute teachers to fill the building, while the school board had voted 6-1 to one to reopen the school with reduced social distancing, reduced mask wearing, and other COVID protocols, teachers en masse called in sick with one teacher actually quitting his position rather than returning to school. Teacher Sean McCarroll, quoted in News 4's online website, clickondetroit.com, quote, You don't respect us. If you respected us, you'd listen to us. You don't appreciate us. If you did, you wouldn't make our jobs literally impossible to do. Now, not all teachers are in the classroom when COVID and social distancing become an issue. One teacher in Northern California felt that the song by the police, Don't Stand So Close to Me, was her summer anthem, and for that, got into trouble with the actual police. According to the Mercury News, a now former San Jose teacher was arraigned on an assault charge after authorities say she, quote, intentionally coughed on an infant in a social distancing argument with the baby's mother at a yogurt shop last summer. Wow, you go-gurt girl. According to news sources, Nancy Nordland, 65, but we're not sure why news outlets always put the age. I mean, is there an age when crime is okay? Like after a certain age, you can just bug out and do whatever you want? Anyway, allegedly Nordland was in line at Yogurtland, which builds itself at the, quote, ultimate self-serve frozen yogurt and ice cream experience where real ingredients make great flavors in order to self-serve herself up some yummy flavors such as, and these are real, birthday buttercup batter, banana pudding, or mango pina colada tart, which answers the question, can you get diabetes from yogurt? While waiting for her turn at the fountain of cultured flavors, Nordland noticed a patron behind her who, she claimed, was so close to me. It seemed that while the mother with the stroller was on the line marking the social distancing norm of six feet, this stroller was apparently far too close to Nordland for her comfort. After several words with the parent, Nordland became incised by this social distance dilemma, and she did what any rational adult would do. She took down her mask and coughed in the baby's face. Well, homie, don't yo play that game. And as Nordland self-served her yogurt, other patrons berated her to the point that she left the premises without paying. The entire incident was caught in the video surveillance system. Yogurtland employs to make sure you don't double dip on them. This small incident made the local news, and since Nordland had to take her mask off to commit the crime, truly the opposite of how normal crime works, where people don rather than doff masks, her face was very visible. So a manhunt ensued. We're sorry, we, we mean a woman hunt was conducted by the police who combed her known contact numbers, and it turns out that none of their voicemails were returned for, for weeks. While the police may have not gone door-to-door -door since police officers don't serve warrants on misdemeanors, according to the Mercury News, the footage made its way to the all-knowing Internet and, quote, fueled international headlines, prompted a thorough police investigation and led to a massive internet sleuthing effort that identified her as a special education teacher at Alex Anderson Elementary School in San Jose. According to police who were able to then contact her directly by phone, the entire incident was a case of mistaken identity and she happened to be in another state at the time. Actually, she claimed to be in Oregon. This didn't seem to be able to be corroborated by anyone living or dead and the mother, whose infant was coughed on, was able to select her photo from a virtual lineup more than once, so it seemed like she was pretty guilty.
Within weeks of discovering her identity, Nordland was fired by the district based on pressure by the community and a petition to terminate her, which may be the first time an online petition has resulted in anything happening. But at the time of this recording, she remains a fugitive and is wanted on a single misdemeanor count of assault. Sources with information on the case are asked to relay tips to Detective Bowman at 408-277-4161. According to the website greatschools.org, itself a mouthpiece of the Walton Family Foundation and accused by the organization chalkbeat.org of nudging parents towards schools with fewer black and Hispanic students, quote, great teachers are warm, accessible, enthusiastic, and caring. Teachers with these qualities are known to stay after school and make themselves available to students and parents who need them. They're involved in school-wide committees and activities. They demonstrate a commitment to the school. So that is what great schools claims makes a great teacher. But what makes a teacher a teacher? Can they teach anything or just the three R's? Now, mind you, on the list, reading, writing, and arithmetic, there's only one R. And since people are willing to play with initialisms, why not play with what qualifies one as a teacher, especially if that gets you to the head of the line for a vaccine? <laughs> Stacy Griffith, a famed 52-year-old founding coach at a Soul Cycle, took her position leading sweating, middle-aged, high-power type A personalities on a stationary pulmonary journey to unlock their human potential to the nth degree. Griffith, no relation to D.W. Griffith, felt that as lead peddler in the pedal power revolution of feel-good fitness, she was entitled to receive the early supply of vaccine, which then had a short list that included politicians, the super-rich, medical care staff, and teachers. Griffith claimed status as a teacher, so she got vaccinated when the doses were still in short supply. She was among the roughly... 850,000 New York City residents who were able to receive those first doses. Now, is she a teacher because she leads a class of spandex-clad warriors? According to sfgate.com, quote, Soul Cycle instructors, no matter how many Instagram followers they have, are not teachers. And speaking of Instagram, or as we call it, the gram, no one would have been the wiser about her exceptionalism had she not flexed on her feed for her 64,000 followers so they could read and weep that she had received the vaccine early so she could, quote, operate at full capacity. Upon bragging, hashtag blessed style, to her 64,000 followers that she was among the roughly 850,000 New York City residents who had received the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, she was met immediately with a furious backlash to which she was surprised. One sour spinner complained that, quote, My wife is a stage four cancer patient who has to deal with the fear and risk of going into a hospital cancer center weekly while immunocompromised during COVID in order to receive the treatment that is keeping her alive. She is at least two to three months out from being eligible for a vaccine. Griffith had no qualms about calling out the haters for going dark and negative, claiming that, according to the Daily Beast, quote, she had the same opportunity everyone else had by going online and filling out a questionnaire. She insisted that she pulled no favors. I paid no money to anyone. The Daily Beast asked Griffith if all Soul Cycle instructors should be eligible for the vaccine. She replied, absolutely not. It turns out the CEO of Soul Cycle agreed, but placed Griffith in the absolutely not 
qualified pile, not the exceptionally qualified pile, even though she feels she's an exclusive influencer. Quote, Soul Cycle instructors do not qualify as educators to receive the vaccine based solely on their roles at Soul Cycle and should not be attempting to receive the vaccine unless they are otherwise eligible to do so based on appropriate state regulations. So there, for now, we have it. Soul Cycle instructors are not teachers. While people with thousands of Instagram followers think they know what they are, we know that teachers are the real influencers. So with all the acrimony and confusion around mask mandates and school closures, let's look a little deeper into what teachers worry about when it comes to the COVID virus crisis. It seems that there's very little reliable data to draw on when looking at the risks that educators face in the United States, with some states like Texas refusing to count educator deaths and states like New York accused of overcounting COVID deaths among educators while undercounting those who died in nursing homes and hospitals that are owned by the Friends of Governor Como. So we have to look across the pond to the United Kingdom, which according to a study examined by the BBC, saw educator deaths from COVID lower than many other professions. The BBC found that, quote, among teachers there were 18 deaths per 100,000 among men and 10 per 100,000 among women. This compares with other fields and industries where restaurant workers had 119 deaths per 100,000 and the field of social work had 47 deaths per 100,000. While the study does seem to offer some perspective, it was noted that the data came from a time when fewer children were attending school and the report refers to deaths, not infections, which may have resulted in serious illness. In the K-12 publication Ed Week, which serves as sort of like a trade paper for educators, a memorial article documented the many educators who had died as a result of COVID. As of July 14, 2021, at least 971 active and retired K-12 educators and personnel have died of COVID-19. Of those, 283 were active teachers. Now, by active teachers, you could pick it apart. The publication means those in the classroom and the remaining 688 were retired and perhaps older adults, one could argue. In New York City, the Department of Education reported that 72 classroom staff died of COVID, or roughly 0.092% of the more than 75,000 classroom staff. Perhaps the parents who themselves have been put in harm's way due to being deemed essential, they may have seemed like good odds. However, if you or a loved one are part of that unlucky 0.092%, it's a risk that few want to take. Each death is a tragedy, and we will link to Ed Week article in our show notes since it is important to recognize each individual educator and their contributions. However, percentages, risk assumptions, and numbers can't bring us any closer to an end of this debate on whether to open schools fully or to keep them closed, or whether it was a good idea to risk the education of millions of students in the first place. We may not know for some time the cost of school closure, the decisions by health commissioners in the past, those cities where schools remained open during the flu pandemic, cannot really give us guidance since the risk children face by not attending school was not just the flu. It was a whole range of terrifying childhood diseases with high mortality rates, many of which we have virtually eliminated due to vaccinations like the disease diphtheria, polio, and yellow fever. No one wants to get deathly ill from COVID, including educators. Parents desperately want their students back in schools since in many places virtual learning has been a total cluster and they fear a loss of education and their children's future. While students don't particularly live in the filthy squalor of tenements, 
Northly running about the streets, dodging horse-drawn carriages and sexual predators as they knock a hoop with a stick or whatever old-timey children did, schools continue to provide a needed social service in addition to the educational benefits. They are still generally hygienic, mostly safe places for children to be. The debate also does not benefit from a growing mistrust of institutions like the CDC or that Outside of true conspiracy-minded people, this mistrust of institutions has come from an increasing understanding of how many times the public has been lied to or been unwittingly part of some dark experiment. Think doctors prescribing opioids at the encouragement of large pharmaceutical companies, historic malfeasance such as the Tuskegee Airmen experiment, the dangers of tobacco being covered up for decades by the medical industry, or the perceived crimes made popular by social media, such as the child sacrifices the Bamphomet in the basement of the comet ping-pong. At the time of recording, we're now just hearing news stories about a new virus variant. We'll have to see how this impacts our society, and of course our schools, our teachers, and our students. We hear a scandal is still on summer break, but look forward to returning in September, whether we're distance learning or in person or whatever may happen, because let's face it, we live in a world filled with fire tornadoes. We thank our educators and hope everyone will stay strong, because it seems that shit is getting real. We want to thank our Patreons, our emotional support animals, and our listener, Becky. We know it may just be you listening, so can you listen to this episode like a hundred times to drive up ratings? Also, say hi to Eric and the kids. Thanks as always to Free Sound for the noises we make, and we're going to list those that we use in our show notes. So stay salty this summer, and see you in September. <laughs>